You're listening to Bleed TV, the only podcast for today's best shows and movies. And this is Zach, and this is Zach. Unfortunately, Cash wasn't able to join us tonight. He's doing a little bit of Mardi Gras. Um, sorry, bastard. But anyway, um, it's been a productive night. I just got through interviewing Barrett Hackney, which is pretty much amazing. And what an interview. What a what an hour of my life that I will definitely cherish, much as I have most of the interviews we've done in the past. So if you have not listened to any of the interviews from last season, uh, Tariq Lowe, Mark Miller, uh, Jay, I mean, so many people that we are on the show that are real and amazing, and Barrett is just another one to add to the list. Uh, truly, truly enjoyed, so y'all need to check it out. If you're listening to this, we'll probably have the other interview out as well. But uh, tonight we're discussing, not we, I, are discussing episode 206, Killed or Be Killed. Um, this is the best episode, I believe, so far of the season. And bear I say the entire series. Um, from start to finish, one of the funnest, action-packed, funniest, all-around, just well-done episode. Um, I really, really enjoyed how that the show, instead of doing a lot of what they do, is you kind of focus on a character for a little bit, and then you go to another character and focus on that one for a little bit, and then another set. This one was a complete pure mixture constantly changing back and forth between characters and site to try to maintain a timeline and it was so well done um and kept you it made the viewer realize you can't miss a minute or you're going to miss something important and i loved it you know uh, i just you know think about it when is the last time you watched an episode of television and not just because you're an outsider's fan but really think about it where you did not have that minute of lull you did not have that minute of um. Okay, I can go take the, I can go take a restroom break because I know there's not much going on right now. Not this episode. If you missed a part, then you missed something key. And I can't tell you enough how important it is that you need to go back and watch and make sure you didn't miss anything. Uh, the episode from start to finish was fantastic. My favorite, I believe, and it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to beat. Um, and so I want to just go ahead and dive into the episode. I mean, I went and looked at her comments and guess what? The, all the comments were just how amazing this was, how much I love this, you know, very little about predictions and so on, other than a couple of key questions, which we'll cover, uh, when it comes to those parts of the scene. So, um, I'm going to break up the episode as I normally do and try to break it into character subgroups. Usually we do it in about four different ones, a little four, a little foster storyline, the Sassel storyline, stash storyline, and of course, Gwen, big foster and the mountain people storyline. We'll go through those as they go. Um, and last week I was kind of I wouldn't say harsh, but I was just being realistic with my opinion, and that's what was cash, uh, about Little Foster and the set piece for the prison and so on. Uh, but this episode, put that aside, this one right here, super fun, super entertaining, and it started off with a bang. I mean, we went ahead and got the neo-Nazi or white supremacist group leader is sitting down with Little Foster, and the conversation leads to him slinging mashed potatoes on his face. I mean, could you be more disrespectful? Could could you imagine that I stood up and almost applauded when I saw this? I mean, freaking hilarious. Uh, it's just, I mean, just a different different level of disrespect. And not something you would ever, ever expect to be delivered. With, you know, I don't get me wrong. I, I mean, I laughed, but it was more because it was badass, but not because it was funny, if that makes sense. And 
it kind of leads to this next situation, the next scene, where obviously they've got to do something now. He's completely disrespected them, done it in front of everybody. Um, he's held back his guys, and so he sends two of his goons in there to finish him off, uh, you know, within the same lunch period. Basically, that's what you think it is. Um, to, you know, hold him, shiv him, whatever you want to call it. And it fails horribly, and as it should. Um, and how good was this acting right here in the in the stunt work and so on? I mean, Jay, if you were a part of these scenes, top-notch. The fight scenes were realistic. The punch and delivery, the authenticness of hitting, uh, you know, knocking the guy to the trays, doing all this stuff. I really, really enjoyed it. And I do like that it's not something where there's prolonged, you know, pauses waiting on guards to get there and how they, you know, take people down. And, and you even see, you know, um, Little Foster's reactions of being, you know, detained and making it real. Just just really, really well done scenes. Really good attention to detail. And what a catalyst for the episode. Um, shortly after that in the episode, you get to where Little Foster is meeting with the doctor. Now, this scene is important because it's not so much about the prison as is more as it's symbolic to their way of life compared to what the, the good doctor from India's life was and what his reasonings for. And I really, really enjoyed that. He made the reference to, um, I would rather have daylight than feel safe. And, you know, you got to be able to handle your own problems and what you create. And there's a lot of symbolism there and it just made sense. And it was a, it was a feel good moment, you know, and just like when the doctor talked about how you came over here for a better life and better things. And so they're both seeking the same thing in different ways and kind of unique, different versions. Um, but there was a good relationship there with the conversation. There was a good, methodology of how they corresponded and how they interacted and you were able to get that feeling and it was a good feeling and it was honest and true and I think that's what most people want you know is to feel that way and so uh, just it's a great kudos to the writing and, and the delivery of the product to have that um, now the final scene kind of with little foster um, started off very strong um, you know, you get out in the yard and, of course, it gets surrounded. And the guy, you know, comes out there, the leader, and says, you know, you want to think I can handle business? And he is. And so, of course, he pulls out a weapon to cut and slice and so on. And the, choreograph the choreographing of action here is good. Um, you know, the punches, the wrestling, and so on. Um, but the second we got to where uh, Ryan Hurst kind of turns and he lets him take a weight and hits him in the back of the leg, Seemed a little, a little off, just a hair, you know. Um, I don't know. It could have been just a little bit of different delivery or whatever. But um, to be followed up by him grabbing him by the neck and lifting him off the ground. Now, give or take. Now, Ryan Hurst, I'm going to go ahead and be macho here and say, yes, he is a big-ass man and he's badass to the bone. I can 100%. Okay. Um, I used to play college football. I was an offensive lineman, 350 pounds, used to lift weights, used to bench press almost 400, squat 700, uh, you know, strength, all that stuff, which I can't do none of that Shiite anymore. You know, I'm what you classified has been. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that you just don't hold a grown ass man up by his throat, one handed, much less two handed without really, really showing that you're having to brace and hold it. 
And so this right here, as cool as it was, and as much as you were the viewer, you absolutely loved how cool it was, it just wasn't plausible. And that did hurt that scene just a little bit. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to, I'm not trying to beat it up. It's just one of those things where, you know, you're doing so well with everything else. Don't, don't cheapen it for the typical Hollywood cinematic over the, overkill. And the next part is the part that bothered me the most of the entire episode was the one-handed supposed neck break. Um, another completely implausible situation that was tough to stomach and just was a downer for me. Um, I called cash and text him and so on. And, you know, it was an immediate and automatic. The first thing out of his mouth was, well, I know what your one gripe is going to be. And it's the same one I would have and so on. And even I was talking to people on social media, they were kind of like, yeah, it's cool as hell. Um, but you know, it's just not possible. Um, but you know what? I'm not going to beat it up because it, it wasn't really possible. It was in, implausible that, uh, but it was awesome. And so I'm going to say that the awesome factor makes up for the improbable situation um, of holding a man up and breaking his neck one-handed. It's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just not there. But hey, you know what? It was a cool way to kind of wrap up that whole tension with those characters. It was a really unique way to um, have a different you know, a different outcome than what you expect. Because I was really fearing that little Foster was actually going to have some injuries, maybe get stabbed, have to spend some time in the infirmary, uh, you know, and go that route, which has been done in the past. Instead, they decided to go with that he's been able to handle himself all the way through this and basically be almost unscathed minus getting hit with a weight in the leg. Um, and so that right there, you know, a different way, a different approach, kept me on the edge of my, uh, edge of my seat. Well done. Very well done. So I'm looking forward to seeing how this progresses, and the preview really does give you a little taste of it, and I'm pretty excited about his future plot line. Um, the next part I want to go into is the Sassel, of course, you know, Hassel and Sally Ann, um, and their interactions with Butch and Frida and Fight Club. Um, as I said before, I just got through interviewing with Barrett Hackney, who plays Butch, and, you know, the insight he gives you and how he discusses how the interactions with these other actors and actresses is so amazing and dynamic and what they bring to the table. It just makes you appreciate these scenes that they're in that much more. Um, you know, and another great writing credit is, is that, you know, they continue to show the difference in, in realities between the mountain and the town folk. And this is important. I think it's great that they use this as subject and plot lines to show and remind the viewer that Hassel is not a part of this and everything is a learning curve for him. I mean, so far, every episode this season has been a learning curve. Everything from getting ripped off from doing work, uh, you know, having to make life decisions, you know, how he's tackling the pregnancy idea, and to this episode where she's basically explaining to him what it costs to have, you know, the cost of living. And the idea that you have to pay for utilities and what's that? I mean, you have to pay for water. Are you serious? And then he's making contradictory remarks of, you know, what about air? You got to pay for air and stuff. And, and this is totally plausible. And it just, it feels right. And this feels like an authentic conversation of, hey, you need to wake up when money costs. And, and of course, they hit some of those things of, you know, the free clinic's closed. We got to have money. And, you know, the funny thing is, is her number, her $10,000 for a baby, 100% almost in the nose ballpark price. 
uh, just happened to know a friend, you know, who was pricing having a child and they felt, and they went to the hospital and they've been quoted $10,000 right at it at three different hospitals. And this is in the Memphis area. And even one of the hospitals even said, if you pay cash, they give you a huge discount. And so they end up paying cash instead of having to do work with, since they own their own business, end up paying $4,500 and had a, and had a child and everything was fine. And so it's huge cut and expenses just by doing a cash deal. And who would have thought hospitals and cash deals, you know, as long as you paid up front. So very unique situation. And so I love that there was some factuality behind some of the conversation and that that had merit. And that's what makes things authentic to me. And so I really, really appreciated that. Um, it took no time between the, you know, uh, working with, uh, Butch and to get to back to the fight club situation and we get our first taste and, oh boy, is it a good taste? Um, Hassel and his, you know, legendary kilt, um, take on old chubby here. And, uh, and that's another detail right there. How many times do you see a fight club type of movie where they're street fighting, brawling, or so on, and they put an actor in there who all, who looks like a million dollars or looks like he's super intimidating? Or let's go the stereotypical, covered in tattoos, extremely intimidating, or he's buff and you know shows all these skills and stuff. No, we get what looks like Trucker Larry who just got off the eighteen wheeler who doesn't mind kicking back a few, wrapping his knuckles, and wants to prove he's Billy Badass. And thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And the guy doesn't look like a physical specimen. The guy has a little bit of a donut hole. The guy looks like, you know, he eats a little bit of extra snacks on his 18-wheelers, you know, and there ain't nothing wrong with that. I'm toting an extra six-pack across my midsection as well. You know, that's just realistic. And that is what needed to be there. That is showing the plausibility and showing something that is more more likely what you're going to see. You know, I, I, that's what it needs to be, you know. And so many people would look at that and be like, well, I mean, I don't really give a crap. You know, he's just a little chubbier guy who's fighting. Well, that is important. And that's why the attention to detail in the show is epic. Not only that, the choreographing of the fight scenes, you know, the swing and a miss and a couple shots to the body and a headshot and da 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 and a couple, you know, swift, you know, moves and duck and covers and other attacks like that. I mean, did the fight seem real? Did the fight seem like this is how it would go? 100%. It was really, really well done. It wasn't a one hit and wonder knockout. It was multiple hits, and it wasn't all hits to the face. It's just not like watching Rocky Balboa, who gets hit 17 times in the face and calls Adrian at the end of the movie. This one is, I'm getting shots to the body. I'm having to duck and weave. I'm actually, I'm hitting people. And then you actually have a plausible number of times getting hit, and then he falls. And that's the way it was supposed to be. So completely kudos to how that was executed, how well it was done, and it was just effing badass. Um this leads to a situation where, you know, he's having a scene with Butch and Butch kind of confronts him like, hey, dude, you were supposed to lose. I bet against you. I, you know, I lost a couple hundred dollars and so on. Classic. I loved it. Well delivered. Uh, you know, and of course you see Hassel was not completely unscathed. He took a shot or two to the face due to a distraction or something like that. And he's over there icing it up. 
another great situation where he's actually marked up. He's not a situation where somebody takes 17 shots to the face and they don't even have a bloody lip. You know, he's a, he got one or two guys, one or two hits to the face. He's over there icing it up. He's got wounds. He's got red marks. He's got authenticness and another great detail. This leads to the stereotypical fighter, Mr. Ponytail, Steven Seagal in his young days before 300 pounds and the extra Dunlap syndrome across the front. Um, guy's buff, got his fighting shorts on. He's getting his hands wrapped like he's a pro. You know, and I was really kind of expecting to have a dueling battle. You know, we were going to get to see something where they're exchanging licks. Both are cunning. Both are good fighters. Both are bringing something to the table. And that hassle is really going to have to work for it. Instead, which was slightly disappointing, but it was nece- I can understand too, is that instead we get the last and final punch or the finishing moves of the fight. Um, and you see old ponytail hit the deck, you know, and Hassel wins. Um, I was a little surprised, a little disappointed. You know, they did such a good job with the action in the first fight that I hate we weren't able to get more of that and show a lot of that realism and maybe show the other guy was a little bit better than Chubby when it came to those fight scenes. But I'm sure with time constraints and other things, they didn't, and it didn't hurt the scene. If anything, you know, it got to the point and it was able, it allowed you to have time to be able to deliver so much other good content from the episode. Of course, it shows that the promoter comes over and throws a stack of cash in Butch's hand. And it looks to me, when I was watching it, it looks like Butch just gives the entire stack over to Hassel, um, which is uh, it's a, a kind gesture, you know. Um, looked like it was all 20s. Look to me, possibly be maybe a couple grand at best. Um, if that's the case, then hey, you know, it, it goes a long way considering that the place that they're trying to rent was what I think they said $200 plus utilities and stuff. And so that right there covers them for, you know, at least a month or two or whatever you would hope, you know, depending on what kind of grocery intake we're taking, you know. Um, so this leads to go back into the house where they talk about the $200 rent and. How cute was it? My wife's over here kind of gushing a little bit when she's like, okay, you got to pick me up and take me over the threshold. You know, the good luck thing. Um, you know, and I, hey, you know, more power to it. You know, the, the cutie, whatever, you know. Uh, I don't gush over that stuff, but at least my wife does, so I figured I'd give you that, that little tidbit. I just thought it was cute and da-da-da-da, you know, and how this place looks like it was the size of my college apartment, which was basically a closet with a restroom and an oven, um, just maybe a hair bigger. But who cares? That's what they need, you know. And, again, it wasn't a super nice, well-furnished or anything like that. It looked like a 70s retro, two-bedroom, tiny little, you know, duplex apartment or something of that nature. And they immediately go in here and start talking about where this is going to go, where this is going to go, furniture here, and then they get to the bed and the couch. I mean, so exactly what my wife and I did when we moved into a new place. Again, very real feeling, really enjoyed it. And you, and you, then you get this little bit of love scene, you know, and he picks her up and gets her against the wall and a little smoochy, 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 and, you know, and, and you know, that's just that feel-good stuff. you gotta got to make the girls happy, you know. <laughs> You know, it doesn't do much for me. I mean, you know, he's the lucky guy in the scene. I'm not. So, 
Um, now, when he does win this fight and does tell her how he's getting his money, she rolls with it. She says, be careful, you know. I think she realizes this is about the only thing that he's going to be able to produce, the kind of cash that is necessary for them to sustain the you know lifestyle they need to bring a baby into this world. She's already mentioned that drug dealing and selling stuff is not going to not going to cut it, and which it shouldn't. So I 100% agree with that. Um, and so she wakes up and she can't find Hassel, and I'm kind of peculiar. And then you see this beautiful moon outside and him sleeping under it, and this is awesome. This is what you want to see. You want to see that nurturing, that kinship, that he is still an outsider. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, not to be literal, but, you know, sleeping outside under the moonlight and so on. That's awesome. You just can't do that here in Mississippi because if, you're going, if you laid your big ass out there on a on a, a freaking blanket or something like that, you'd have these mosquitoes carry your ass away. Uh, you'd wake up with 37,000 little red bumps and itching from head to toe and cussing yourself like you have never seen before. And so I guess where they are over in the West Virginia area or wherever, that that's just not something they have to deal with, I guess. But let me tell you, down here in the south and this southern humidity, you know, you almost can name the mosquitoes, you know. And in some places, they carry small children away. So you really got to be curious about that kind of situation. Uh, but overall, the entire Sassel deal with Butch and Eve and, and all these things. I'm sorry, Frida. Eve's a real name. And um, all of it was great. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. You know, it was just it was well delivered, well put together. And I'm going to constantly be repeating that over and over and over again and how cool it was. Um, the next one that we're going to go to is the the stash and his, and his sister. Um this was very interesting. It was very kind of all over the map. Um, there was a lot of different dynamics here, you know, but this, the episode opened up with Stash in the, in the, in the crime scene. Um, you know, I'm sitting here wondering which smell is winning. The smell of the rotting corpses that have knife wounds and a pair of scissors sticking out of it or the god-awful filth and uck of the place already. Could you imagine what your nose can't even com- tell which smell is competing to be worst. And then you see him grab these jars of absolute disaster. I'm talking eyeball throw up in a jar. It is disturbing to look at. Would not even touch that mason jar. And he's uh, looking at it, you know, wondering what it is. Very, very just over the top disgusting. Thank God I ate dinner before I watched it. You know, and the funny thing is, is that they cut away from that and went right into another scene. And it's almost a little disappointing because I think whoever worked to make this set piece look so good and authentic, man, I wish they had shown more. All you saw was this jar of disaster. You saw a, a table that had all these prescription drug pill bottles and a few other things, you know, and you want to see that extra mile. Those extra, te- uh, you know, attention to detail about somebody who created this set piece, you know, and you want that person to get that credit, that kudos for it. Because, I mean, it, it was just so well done. It's just like when you're dealing with Hassel and his fight scene and the extras in the background that were surrounding him for the fight. It all looked real. It didn't look staged. It wasn't like that. I mean, you go back and watch a movie like Braveheart. As much as I love Mel Gibson to death and 
for his directing and his acting. That's it. Um, you go and watch that Braveheart, and there's two or three scenes in there where there's fighting, and you look in the background, and there's two Joes playing, you know, tickle each other or, you know, hitting each other with a stick or so on, and it's so fake of a fight scene, and how it made it past the editor, I have no idea. And this movie won the Academy Award. I mean, but it's those little details, and every time I watch it, I see it. You know, it's just like when you watch Terminator Two, and you you see the scenes where the truck is being followed by the nitroglycerin truck, and he jumps off to find a bullet, and there's there's hole back in the truck, and then it's gone, and it comes back, and then there's board sticking up, and then it's gone. I mean, it's just so many little details. Even James Cameron makes these mistakes, and another acclaimed movie. So when you see that, but then you see how Outsiders is going the extra mile and is not missing those details and is not doing those things. Again, awesome. Absolutely awesome. So Stash moves on to talking to Samuel again about the possibilities of maybe he knows who, who killed his entire family. Um, and he immediately questions him with the idea that possibly that little Foster is maybe the perpetrator. And, of course, Sammy immediately shoots, shoots it down. And they did a good job of progressing his details. Big guy, you know, tattoos and so on. And, the, and I was like, all right, you got to tell him. He's got white hair. He's got gray hair. Da, da, da. This is the defining moment. And then finally, that is the last detail he tells him to kind of give him that, that little bit. And it makes me worry because are we going to have to deal with a situation where Stash and Big Foster – or is going to be like Little Foster over again, where Big Foster becomes in jail, or um, that is his ultimate demise, or something of that nature. Um, you know, where your your past sins are, you know, or what catch up with you for your future. And so that kind of concerns me as well. And so I'm very worried about that situation. So very, very likely that the plot line could go down that road. Um, Stash's sister becomes a situation and where she has this meeting and we get a new stranger now i don't know about the rest of you guys but as soon as this guy stood up and started blowing sunshine up her ass i was getting the smell of this guy is an agent he's a mole there's something fishy he maybe he's working for the coal company he's doing something where his job is to infiltrate befriend and ultimately fracture from the inside this little group that there's going out and i'm really really curious about that you know the only things that go against it is is that he's promoting anarchy during festival times parade times when you know it's going to have the most effect but also it could lead to more problems and more trouble and so I'm worried about his motives. I'm very worried about his motives. There's something fishy. There's something more to him. And then his whole story back at the house of, you know, he was a Stanford, you know, Stanford, you know, scholarship at 16, smart guy, goes to one protest and his life's changed and he's been doing it ever since from a camper. There's a lot of holes in that story. And so I'm not real sure. And, you know, but they quickly deflect from it to his whole little spiel of, all right, okay, ladies, tell me, this guy, is he cute enough to say, I stink, can I borrow your shower? And it becomes something that, you know, becomes borderline attractive. Um, because there's a lot of guys out there who are looking for women. And if they've been going out the wrong way, you need to let these people know that, you know, you come at somebody stinking, you know, hey, I need to use your shower. 
it just works, you know. Is this plausible? I'm not a woman, never tried these techniques, couldn't say it's good, bad, or ugly, or whatever. But on the show, evidently it worked, you know. The uh, He goes upstairs, comes out, you know, and he's commandoing it right there, and asks, you know, hey, and ask for company, and he got it, you know. More power to him, more power to her, you know. Nothing like having fun. I mean, she has made the decision to go ahead and let cancer win, and you know what? She's living her life, you know, and she's enjoying every moment. So my wife and I were like, hell yeah, go for it. Enjoy, you know. And according to what you could hear from the downstairs when Stash realizes it, it sounded like she was having a good old time. Uh, so more power to her. Um, however, I don't know about anybody else, but when he found the cat in the box, I hate to say that the first thing in my mind was not that this was a statement to try to tell her to back off what she was doing. Um, I just must have missed this. I was just like, all right, somebody's played a sick joke. Or it was something against Stash, um, not necessarily against the sister. But then when the brick was thrown through the, the glass later, you know, it was all, it kind of came home to me as part of a series of events to try to deter her from what she's doing. Um, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of surprising. You know, you think if you're small town, um, everybody's friendly and, you know, you know, kind of place where you walk on the porch and they ask you to come in, you want some sweet tea, you know, not the kind of situation where somebody, you know, this kind of town demographic gets mad enough to throw a flaming brick through a window. And the funny thing is, is that you look at the car that threw it. I mean, it looks like a government vehicle car, you know, and so, or, or it's an official car, you know? And so again, maybe another clue for the coal company, uh, you know, they're stirring the pot, you know? And so I think this whole scenario is very, very fishy. I think it's very directed. I wouldn't doubt it if the witch, the you know, the original bad guy, bad girl from the first season was the one behind it. That in some weird, unique way, you know, it's another one of her pulling the strings from the sidelines to try to influence a decision or an outrage or an outcry by the community in the opposite, which is effective and productive for the coal company. So I'm very curious to see how that goes. Of course, Dash is like, hey, you know, you're out of your mind and tapping his head and lets her know the cat's in the trash can, you know, but ultimately apologizes and they, you know, they make up. They don't kiss and make up, but they make up, you know. Um, now, the next thing we get is, is this is when Stash gets the report that exonerates Little Foster. You know, there was a gun in the house where Big Foster was kept. And revelation to me, this is the same gun that Big Foster was carrying, not somebody from the house. Because when that episode aired, we thought it was very strange they would leave a gun, a loaded gun, in the same room with him. And now they're explaining that basically this was his gun that was on him when he was shot um, or he carried with in this situation, uh, that that's the son of the gun that killed Brees. Um, don't remember him carrying the gun. There was never anything that had that after he got shot by Asa to have that gun on him. But it's not a situation where 
you can say, no way, holy crap, that's wrong, implausible, blah, blah, blah. Uh, there was plenty of opportunity, and it wasn't a detail that was that. And if anything, it was a cool revelation to deliver halfway through the season that the, the purpose of the gun, why it was there, what it was used for, and how it links that Little Foster is innocent. And it happens to happen right after Little Foster kills an inmate. Um, just the irony alone and the timing on that is, is just pretty freaking cool. Um, Core Stash is devastated. You know, he killed an inmate. You know, you know, you, you, you did good police work here. And well, I'm like, yeah, okay, shut up, dude. <laughs> you know, don't, don't, don't blow sunshine. Don't, don't do it. Finally, we got Gwen and Big Foster, their situation in which their whole storyline was sprinkled from start to finish the entire episode. By far the biggest chunk in my mind. Um, and the last episode, Gwen was taken captive um, after that poor poor Gregor was shot in the face. Eye socket death. Um, brutal. Um, awesome. Um, and she is being held captive under guns gunpoint in a chair in the middle of her house with kenna all around holding guns and you have this scene where big foster and his henchman which is old eddie and he tells him that we are going to what's well, philip you know in the show uh yeah we're gonna grab all the knives and arrows and hatchets and so on and go at him and <laughs> I couldn't help but chuckle, and Big Foster was like, that's great, and all, and you'd die. I mean, just point blank, you'd die. Um, we're not going to do nothing right now, and which was smart because they're carrying, you know, assault rifles, high capacity, and it would be a slaughter, and just like we would anticipate if they were attacking a military group or a SWAT team group or anything else, you would have a lot of casualties in the process, and so this was a smart decision. So then Gwen gets the the ultimatum, the statement of how we can cleanse the mountain, blood for blood. And you have to sacrifice your strongest member. And Gwen has to do it. And I was intrigued by this, is that you have this huge group, and it's going to cleanse the entire group and the entire mountain by killing one person, which is your strongest character. Let's say this happens. Let's think for a second that you kill this one person and the Kenna is satisfied. Then what? They just leave? Is it over? I mean, does that mean mission accomplished? You know, here's my paycheck. Here's my invoice. We're done. I, I'm, I was very, very curious about this. You know, is that, you know, there really wasn't an explanation of what goes on after that. But I mean, not like it was necessary because... I don't think anybody and their brother thought that that was going to kind of go down, you know. Um, but I was like, I really wonder sometimes, like, what if, you know, because, you know, there was the chance that she does kill somebody and it's just a complete shock and awe because we're only six episodes in and you don't expect certain storylines to be cut down and be done after the sixth episode. And it started to look like the Kenna might be. And so anyway, the Kenna tell her that you're going to do it or we're going to kill somebody. It's not your call. And she plays tough and says no. 
And the gunshot goes off, and just like last week's preview, they said, you know, oh, my God, they killed the Brennan, they shot the Brennan, da-da-da-da. And he runs up in there, you know, full brazen, and shoot me if you want to, to find, you know, homeboy's head blown off. And you got Gwen with blood splatter on the face. Great attention to detail, by the way, and she's crying. And you just had that monumental moment, you know, that real fear of your group and your comrades, and it was cool. Um I thought it was a little weird, you know, that the two Kenna girls are holding the guns on her, like literally a foot away and aiming at, aiming at her knees and ankles, you know, just a little different, you know, I wouldn't necessarily think that would be necessary, but it was for effect. So it worked. Um, so they come to it she says, I'm going to do it, whatever. And the, it leads to Big Foster being determined as being the strongest group member. And so they take him and tie him up in a barn. And he says, nah, it ain't going to happen. I ain't gonna, it, she ain't going to do it, blah, blah, blah. And I have to tell you, I'm, I'm agreeing with it. But they do a good job of setting attention up. And they're doing the, the leader of the kingdom, Oregon, just telling them, that, hey, it's going to happen. You, you know, you're, you're good as dead. Enjoy your last meal, you know, if you actually got one. And it was good job of kind of feeding you and setting you up. And then the scene with him watching the girl dig his grave. I mean, really? I mean, wow. I chuckled pretty hard. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, this, it was comical. And you're almost like she's digging the hole. You have this big strapping man that could, I'm really, really shocked. They didn't have guns on him saying dig a hole. I'm just really, really shocked that he got to sit there and watch her dig the hole because let me tell you something digging a hole big enough for a guy like that that is no easy task and so that is one hell of a woman if she was digging that hole solo you know i understand it's a tv show but that was all that was awesome you know that's a twist of events that you usually don't get to see and so the biggest deal here is is that they're doing a really good job of setting this up to make you, the viewer, really, really think this has a calamity about to happen. This is something that's really going to go down, and we're going to have a major plot twist here, something that's going to really throw you for a, a loop and be super entertaining and dynamic to the point of they even bring back old Lady Ray and to kind of culminate the decision of, you know, hey, you tried to kill him and didn't, and... He did this and so on, feeding that fire, throwing gasoline on that fire of, you know, oh my gosh, you really do have to go ahead and kill him. You've got to be that strong person. And then, the, you know, her premonition or ghost like that disappears when the person comes in the door um, to kind of leave you hanging, you know, without the true answer. And so when they get outside and he's tied up and given this blade, which looks like it's something derived from, a, you know, a deer antler or something. You know, that tension is there. The lighting is good. The cinematography is good. The way things were done. Because, I mean, you know what? They didn't have false lights. It just had all, it was like true flames were lighting the situation. It looked so good. And when she had that blade out there, I was just like, hmm. But the thought did ring me. Like, strongest member, she could totally kill herself. And I was like, golly, you really just can't go slice your own throat on the show and then make it. I was like, this is just no way. And 
So she decides to stab herself in the abdomen, kind of off to the side a little bit, you know, maybe where you have your little little bit of fun pack or whatever, and takes a a good stab in the stomach and then falls to her knees and people go crazy. And she pulls the blade out and it's covered and it's got at least four to five inches of blood on it. So we're talking a deep wound, not a, not a, not a little scratch by any means, you know, not one you just get up and cough and it's over and you throw some dirt on it. This is the real deal, you know? And so she's on her knees and everybody's freaking out and so on. And the Morgan goes and puts a blade on big foster. And before she can slice his throat, you see Gwen, you know, try to hand her the knife. And instead it's pointing at her. And this is my one of my favorite things here. Nobody out there can tell you that they were expecting David Morris, Big Foster, to kick the girl in the back and get shanked into the stomach. I just know. When this happened, I literally got up and pumped my fist like, that is how you throw a twist into this situation. I was so happy to see them come up with something that was so unique, so different than the stereotypical situation of a standoff of who somebody's got to kill somebody or whatever for her to take this blade in the stomach. I do kind of wish that it didn't look like she died before she hit the ground. It was just a little bit much that, you know, she takes the blade, she goes, oh, 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 and falls like a dead fish right there. No groaning, no rolling around, no pulling the blade out, no, I can't believe this happened to me, nothing. It is, I fell all in over and I'm dead as a dead as a hammer. I'm dead as a sack of potatoes. I'm dead, you know, to nobody to know anymore. And I just, I from what I watched it, which I watched it multiple times, it looked like an abdomen stand, I'm sorry, abdomen uh, stab. I don't know of a spot you get stabbed in the admin that you die within three seconds. So just just a little much, but I didn't care. It was awesome. It was a great twist of events. As I said, nobody expected Big Foster to kick her into a blade. Super cool. And now we're left with the cliffhanger of, is Gwen going to live? Um by a show of hands, who thinks she's going to die? Yeah, nobody. I don't see anybody's hands up. Okay, good. Neither you don't see mine either. Um, I think we're going to be in a bad spot, a hard situation. Um, but of course, I 100% believe Gwen continues and survives. She is integral to the show. She's integral to the mountain. Um, and this is when you get the turning point of the series uh, where we move away from the Kenna and go back to the original plot, trouble, disaster, real issue, the mountain versus the people of the town. Um, I did think it was interesting that the Kenna just kind of all fell to their knees when their leader was killed, um, which was, was good. It wasn't like they were overtaken. They are truly a believer, cult, you know, the whole nine yards. And so that was really, really cool.
guys, overall, it was just a really, really good show. Start to finish, my favorite so far. Really, really thought it was neat. Uh, I can only hope that this show continues to bring such good quality stuff like this over and over and over again because it is doing a fantastic job. Uh, every episode is bringing it. Uh, they've set a high bar here, so I'm not going to go into the next one hoping you get it every single time because it's just not plausible. You do have to have those set-up episodes. You do have to have those times where things are brought to you in small doses. But overall, fantastic episode, 100% amazing. Really, really looking forward to next week. And I know you are because if you look at that preview, you get to see little Foster, what looks to be his escape from transport, and you get to find out at the conclusion of Gwen. And it is going to be quite an unveiling. Really, really looking forward to it. But, guys, tonight, that's it for me. Uh, As I said, Cash said he hated missed you guys. He'll catch us next week. But this is Bleed TV, and I'm Zach, and we'll see you all next week.